0: A start On demand. On demand
1: We had the pleasure and privilege today of visiting with some special guests in studio and all we can say is, my word, Larry Updike and Brian Barkley, CJOB legends alongside Bob Irving talking the 1999 Pan Am Games. We'll also tell you about an angry mother whose old Facebook post has just recently caught fire on the internet. She wants childless millennials banned from Disney World. And she goes on to say she hates childless women. And the M word has been dropped by AAA hockey in manitoba i'm brett mcgarry alongside greg mackling and loren mcnab who's on vacation we are mackling mcgarry and mcnab and this is the tuesday july 30th podcast for the start mackling and mcgarry tristan field jones is here kelly moore is here jeff fortier is here Greg, what's the headline that you sent me at 3 a.m.?
0: Mom wants childless millennials banned from Disney World. Okay. All right. So you see a headline like that, I'm going to read some more. (laughs) (laughs) Social media users were not having it after a Facebook post surfaced with a woman sharing why she wants, quote, childless millennials, unquote, banned from Disney World. That post about an irate mother's visit to the happiest place on earth, I guess, unless you're this woman, uh, has since gone viral. In the explicit, filled rant, the mother explained how her three-year-old son wanted a Mickey Mouse pretzel at the park, but the lines were too
1: long. So she told him that he could have a pretzel later. So here's the post, which is dated <laughs> September 22nd. Outrageous! And I'm going to have to uh, just skip or change some of the language in here, but here we go. It peeves me off to no end when I see childless couples without at Disney World. Angry face, angry face, angry face, angry face. Disney World is a family amusement park, yet these immature millennials throw away their money on useless crap. They have no idea the joy and happiness it is. To mothers who buys their baby, and I'm reading the spelling mistakes on purpose, mothers who buys their babies treats and toys, they will never experience the exhaustion that it is to chase a three-year-old around and getting stared at, stares at, assuming I'm a bad mother. This, in some (laughs) very... short shorts, was buying a (laughs) Mickey pretzel, and Aiden wanted one, but the line was very long, so I said later, and it broke his poor little heart, and he cried, I wanted to take that stupid pretzel from that, like, thanks, B, you made my son cry, angry face, angry face, angry face, Disney World is for children, people without children need to be banned. Mothers with children should be allowed to skip all the line. You have no effing idea what it's like to have to stand in line for three hours with a cranky, tired, exhausted toddler. And I can't just tell him that we can't do something because it's his vacation, too. I hate childless women with a burning passion.
0: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 14 angry faces.
1: <laughs> wow. Wow, is right. <clears throat> I sat there at 3:10 a.m. today reading this, just giggling to myself at the entitlement, at the anger. So let's go around the horn here. Kelly Moore, you've got kids, you've got grandkids. What was your reaction to this?
0: Uh, I think my secondary headline to that would have been mother needs to get into therapy. Now, Yo, that. <laughs> now with a bunch of angry faces at the end of it, right? <laughs> is there a, such a thing as an urgent face? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ambulance side, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was just totally taken aback by that. I thought, man, this is one stressed out mother who uh, probably should hire a nanny to take her three-year-old. I, I don't advocate that, but in this case, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea. I wonder if Child and Family Services has had a visit to this woman's house after this tirade.
2: You, you kind of wonder. I, you, you know, this whole thing reminds me of when you're sitting in traffic and you're complaining about traffic. Guess what? You are the traffic. <laughs> you are the traffic. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what this scenario is. That I mean, she's like, well, do you have no idea what it's like to... Wait in line for three hours. What the hell are you doing? You're sitting there waiting in line. I mean, just, it goes back to, it seems to be a theme over the last little while. Obliviousness. I mean, this is, I would argue, downright stupidity. But be aware of your surroundings. And before you choose to post what is frankly gold on the internet, I'll be brutally honest. Um, Before you choose to post that sort of stuff, take a few minutes and just think, Okay, here was the scenario. Here's where I was. Here's the context. And then post it anyway because it gives us you know, great material to talk about. So Couldn't agree with you more, Tristan. Jeff Forche, you've been to Disney? Oh, I have. I've been there twice, actually. Oh, nice.
3: Yeah. As a childless adult? No. But what if my mom,
1: right now, took me to Disney World?
2: Okay. That'd be awesome.
1: That would be awesome.
2: Mom. Could we come (laughs) June?
1: When's your birthday? June. Oh. Yeah. Next year. So because window is past, yeah. So you'd be going as a family. Yes, and she she, says it's for families. families. Exactly. That's kind of my point. And only two, how old is this woman? Is she a millennial? Is she a millennial complaining about millennials? Well, that's interesting because she refers to a three year old child. So presumably she's a young mother. We don't, although we don't know how old she is. Should mothers with young kids be allowed to skip the line? No. No.
0: no. You know the deal when you buy the ticket. Disneyland is not a brand new business, Disney World has been around for 40 years. We all know it's going to be crazy busy when we go there. And if you want to take your 3-year-old and brave those lines, good luck to you, but it's not my problem. Yeah, I'm... that that you can't handle the lineup, you maybe should have reconsidered how old your child was before. That's what you I was going to say as well. Took him or her to the park.
2: Yeah, when when I went to Disney, I was I <clears throat> went twice. I was 9 and then I was 12, I believe. And my parents chose that because they knew I would have
1: memories and be able to experience it better, and then they don't have to run around chasing me. So
3: yeah, they made that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I don't think, I I don't really, I, like I learned to read, I referenced The Electric Company last week, the TV show, The Electric Company taught me to read when I was three, and I kind of have flashes of it, but no real concrete memories. Like, I, I often joke that I don't think it was a sentient human being until I was at least four. So <laughs> if I if my parents took me to Disney World when I was three years old, I might remember just sort of bits and pieces, but nothing where I can look back and and picture being on the monorail or watching the fountains at Epcot Centre, seeing the fireworks and the laser show that I got to see. Um, Yeah, I think it's kind of a waste. 1976 was the first time I went. I had not quite turned seven. And
0: I went back on my 22nd birthday with my whole family. I didn't even need a map. When I went back the second time because I remembered where everything was from wow. when I was seven. So I'm just suggesting that kids do retain a lot of stuff. There's a tipping point for that sort of thing. I'm not going to judge her. I think I kind of did a few minutes ago. You want to take your kid at one, two, or three, go right ahead. Just be it's prepared for what's coming. Uh, what did Kristen say here? Uh, Pfft. I've read her rant. The lady obviously hasn't considered the fact that the prices would soar if there weren't all the child-free people. Mm -hmm. I've given up on trying to find a husband. Now my goal in life is to find a gentleman friend who will go to Disney with me and we can wear those awkward matching couple (laughs) shirts. (laughs) Oh yes, Disney is for everyone. Absolutely, (laughs) It's for everyone.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it just, and we, we were having this discussion quickly here, but I hate the fact that some of those animated movies are branded kids films. If you've seen Inside Out as an example by Pixar, you watch that movie and then you tell me that's a kids movie.
1: That is not a kids movie. That is a family movie yeah, because it's something adulthood. for everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't. But I, to be fair, though, I don't think Disney explicitly markets it as a kids only movie. No, They, they make don't. those movies for all ages. And they put all kinds of stuff in those movies that only adults will pick up on. The kids will yep. never pick up yep. on that stuff. So, uh, But that's fair, yeah. Disney movies are for everyone. Uh, so, hey, just as a heads up, we mentioned earlier that Larry Updike and Brian Barkley are coming to visit us at 9.05 to talk about their Pan Am memories And the Pan Am Game Memories. And when I was looking for an old clip of Larry... Well, I'll just play the clip for you here again in case you weren't, you weren't listening at 6.08. I
4: have to tell you, our, our good friend Brett McGarry, one of the couch potatoes, he yes. uh, I happen to know he has to, uh, he doesn't have a teddy bear, but he does cuddle his pillow oftentimes going to bed.
5: Oh, isn't that sweet? Very nice, he's a lonely man. He's one of those couch potatoes. <laughs> I.E., translation, uh-huh. great radio
1: show on the weekends, but he, he's a loser in his social
5: life. Okay, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> well, come on. <laughs>
1: That's from April 22nd, 2007. But while I was looking for that clip, because I am a digital hoarder, it takes like five minutes to open my network folder on our computer because I have it's just overloaded with stuff. I stumbled upon an old clip from, I think, 2011 with Hal Anderson when Tom Green was here. So I just wanted to share it. Oh,
0: this is speaking of awkward segues. That one has nothing to do with the other. Nothing to do. With I the like other. it. I'm so the, the happy. O- the
1: only thing that they have to do with each other is that they are both archived clips <laughs> stuffed into my folder. And both very funny. And they're both funny.
6: Clay, say
1: hi to Tom Green.
6: Hey Tom, how are you? Very good. How are you doing, Clay Young? Hanging in there. <laughs> good to talk to you today. It's <laughs> great to be here in Winnipeg. See <laughs> what you said off the air, No, I'm just saying uh, we have the same voice. <laughs> I'm just saying we have the same voice. Clay Young, Tom Green, good to meet you.
1: (laughs) I think the best part about that is I don't think Clay caught on to what was happening. (laughs) Al Anderson afternoons, by the way, one until four. Mackling and McGarry. Mackling, what's going on in the sky? Well, if you went about your day last Wednesday, oblivious to what was lurking
0: in outer space, you weren't the only one.
7: What is this thing? It's enormous. It's an asteroid, sir. It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. What
0: kind of damage?
7: Total, sir. My God. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. What do we do?
0: We blow this thing up from the inside. Okay, so it wasn't quite that big. It was an asteroid large enough to wipe out a city. Narrowly missed striking the Earth last Wednesday, unbeknownst to most people on a planet that might have been forever changed, had it hit it. Scott Young, manager of Planetarium and Science Gallery at Manitoba Museum, joins us now. Good morning, Scott. Morning. How are you? Well, much better uh, now knowing that this uh, asteroid missed us. A little bit less comfortable in the notion that we had no idea that it was coming. Who was asleep here?
7: Oh, actually, nobody was asleep. The problem is it came in from the side facing the sun. And so basically coming out of the sun is sort of the old... You know, if you watch the old war movies, that's where the fighter planes would would dive out of so no one would see them. Basically, the same thing happens.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I'm seeing the picture of the Millennium Falcon sort of emerging uh, exactly. from the sun in Star Wars. How big was this rock?
7: Well, it was uh, big enough that it was concerning. You know, it was about uh, 70 meters across, so that's uh, that's a good sized rock. But um, I mean, it's it. I mean, there, there's been a lot of uh, excitement about this. The, it missed us by 73,000 kilometers. That's, uh, that's a lot. Like the earth is a little bit less than 25,000 kilometers across. So I mean, or sorry, 12,000 uh, kilometers across. So we, we wind up looking at, uh, say you're at the bowling alley, you're throwing the ball down the alley, and instead of knocking your own pins down, you knock over pins six alleys off to your right. Like that's the kind of miss we're talking about. It's, it's a huge miss.
0: I, I do that all the time. No, well, I'm um, trying to
7: make you feel better, here,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Scott. I, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think we're under the impression that we're monitoring the sky all the time, and that we sort of have a an idea, a handle on where every piece of space junk is, where every rock, every comet, uh, every yeah. chunk of ice is, and we've got it plotted neatly and tidily on a on a map
7: somewhere. Clearly, not the case. Yeah, not quite. We're getting there. We've got most of the big stuff, and we do have most of the stuff that, uh, you know, is is really concerning. Um, You know, anything up to about like a kilometer across where you're going to get huge regional damage. Um, You know, a city killer, yeah, technically, if it hits a city, that would be a problem. But most likely, it's going to plop down in the ocean somewhere, or it's going to hit, you know, an uninhabited area. The, it only ever hits, you know, the big cities first, like in uh, in Armageddon and stuff like that in the movies. So um, we've got almost all the big ones tracked, we think, but there are always a few that can come out of the sun or can come out of different directions. We're not, uh, not there. So that's why we need, you know, people to continue looking for these. And interestingly, it's not just uh, professional astronomers, even amateur astronomers, people with backyard telescopes and cameras are... Uh, are looking for these things um, because they have a lot of free time and they're able to sort of look every night when some of the professional astronomers only get a few nights a, a year up on
1: these telescopes. So let's say this thing just, I mean, I know it missed by a wide, wide margin, but let's say it did hit the Earth at the speed it was going, 24 kilometers per second. That's 70 times the speed of sound or roughly the same speed as the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs. What would that do to our planet?
7: Um, to our planet, not a whole lot. I mean it would suck if it landed on in your backyard Let's let 's face it The people in, you know in a very small area would have a, a pretty hard time um, but it 's not just about speed it 's about size here as well and and this is just not big enough to cause any you know lasting damage like I say if for whoever it hit that that area within say a hundred kilometers would have some effects for a little while and obviously the the, the people right where the the impact was they would have uh they would they would have a major problem now most of these were able to say at least in a a few days in advance for example we're able to make a prediction of where any impact might happen or things like that so there's there's the chance that we could have you know evacuated or whatever so it's this is really kind of an an anomaly in terms of uh not seeing it coming and not being able to have uh, better data on it.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I feel a little bit better, but still a concern as we we fly through (laughs) this uh, massive galaxy and and so many things around us. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say it's only a matter of time, but uh, math would would tell you that. What have you got going on at the uh, planetarium before we let you run here, Scott? Over the summer holidays must be uh, camps and stuff going
7: on and different uh, people coming uh, in and out. Oh, for sure. We've got lots of camps. We've got uh, actually our summer sky show in the planetarium talks about uh, the upcoming meteor shower, the Perseid meteor shower, which is uh, sort of a regular thing that's like, you know, um, little pieces of dust that crash into the earth. But it's a a fun thing to watch. And uh, we're still celebrating all of the the Apollo anniversary stuff. We've got a a show on Apollo and uh, all sorts of activities based around that. Had a
0: really neat experience at the lake the other night. Actually saw the uh, International Space Station for about thirty seconds. It was really cool. Scott, yeah, thanks cool for to this. Yeah, cool.
1: Come over for sure. Right on. Take care. Thanks for you this. You too. Thanks, Chris. For... Scott Young, manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. Question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Are you pleased? The M word has been dropped from AAA hockey in Manitoba. Yes, it's about time. No, why is this a thing? Samantha rayburn Trubik is president of Little People of Manitoba. She has been talking to Mackling and McGarry for about three years now on 680 CJOB. Samantha, good morning to you.
8: Good morning. How are you?
1: We're doing okay, but I imagine you're doing quite well.
8: I am fabulous. We are fantastic.
0: So uh, tell us, Samantha, for those that are asking the question, why is this a thing? Why is this a thing? Why did you take <laughs> up this cause?
8: Well, I actually ask, why is this a thing, you know, as well? Why are we still talking about this in 2019? Why aren't we just removing words that are offensive to folks? Um, The M M word, the term midget, has been offensive to us for a long time. Um, It's a word that comes, you know, from the uh, freak show era days where little people were put on display, um, you know, to be laughed at, ridiculed, mocked, and put into really horrible conditions to live in um the m word also stems from a uh, the actual word is midge which means tiny fly that spreads disease i'm not sure if anybody would want to be referred to as that and i and it, it's highly offensive
1: so did, when you spoke, you've spoken to the sports league and Greg and I were trying to figure out why would they even use that word to begin with? Uh, to, you know
8: what? That's right. When we spoke to the sports, we, we spoke with sport Manitoba back in January with all the different leagues in Manitoba and, and nobody could answer that question of how this became the word. Um, so it's one of those things that I think is just kind of snowballed and it doesn't really have an origin and nobody could explain it. Um, but everybody seems to have an opinion on it which i find really really uh funny i guess is the word people who who really you know, aren't affiliated with LPM, don't have little people in their lives and, and everybody seems to want to take issue with this. Well and we There's actually not everybody, a lot of people, I should say.
1: We got a text message at two oh four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight about a half hour ago asking, Can we waste our time on more important things? I have never heard a little person complain. I think little people is much more unpolitically correct. What's your response to that?
8: No uh, it's not it's honestly, the best thing would be call us by our name, but you know we've been termed this for so long you know when you're when you're out with your friends and somebody's yelling this out the car or when you know I can tell you a time when I was in vegas and and, and somebody shouted this from the strip when i 'm with my friends trying to have a great time and it, it's just it's just horribly rude and horribly offensive
0: yeah but what why don't, every time I introduce Brett for the next week i'm going to describe him as an overly tall person or a person who is taller than average and see how tired he gets of me describing him that way and how redundant it becomes once again like you say the the terminology we we are obsessed with with labeling people and i think this is where the this starts and and almost ends
8: yeah i, I would agree with that um yeah i would agree with that
1: so when you whenever we bring this topic up we do always get pushback from <laughs> people sure. and uh when you you're the president of little people of Manitoba so do you are you personally the recipient of a lot of negative yeah. feedback from people
8: Yeah for sure so when I was uh when when this first started when we first started talking about this in the media back in November um I, I was quite shocked at how much negative feedback I received on this, um, and from people all across Canada. You know, I had one gentleman write me personally—not does, doesn't know me—but write me personally from Oshawa, Ontario, and, and he he called me the c word. Um, and, and so I was just kind of—I mean—and that's just one example of several several emails and pieces that I've gotten. So I really don't understand it, and I don't see why, you know, why the hate is there for that
0: removing the obscenity what was the point that he was trying to make other than to to call you down uh, you wh- know what, the what point was, was it that I you was... were taking away from him
8: <laughs> hockey he said i was messing with hockey
0: messing with <laughs> hockey
1: all okay. right so. are there any sports leagues left in manitoba that still need to get in line
8: no everybody's on board we, we you know manitoba's fantastic everybody was on board and receptive in this meeting you know football changed they're changing next season um and, and Basketball Manitoba changed. Everybody was super supportive and on board with this.
1: All right, Samantha rayburn Trubick, president of Little People of Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Samantha, thank you for, for this, and we appreciate that you took the time to join us to Yeah. Weigh in.
8: thank you, folks. You've always been a great supporter of LPM, and we can't thank you enough.
1: Congratulations, Samantha. This
0: is a monumental uh, tide change, and, and we're glad that we could help in any tiny way.
8: Yeah, thanks so much.
1: But we're getting the thumbs up from Jeff Forte, which means we have Global's Sean O'Shea on the line, joining us now from
6: Gillum, Manitoba.
1: Good morning to you, Sean O'Shea.
6: Good morning, Greg and Brett. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, Sean, uh, this is uh, really starting to be a grind now, not only uh, for everyone involved in the search, but it's got to be a little bit of a grind for everyone who's covering this story. Have we got anything new at all this morning, Sean?
6: Well, the news is, I guess, guys, that they're back to square one in some respects. Uh, the investigation that took them over uh, to York Landing uh, didn't pan out, although they claimed that they are still uh, doing some investigating over there. Uh, they said at the RCMP that they were going to be back doing some work here today. We've been outside. Our motel is right beside the RCMP detachment, and for the first time in over a week here, there's not any activity going on out there. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not investigating. It means that there's no comings and goings. They arrived back. A plane of RCMP officers arrived back from York last night, and we're told that they are planning to go out on another aircraft today, somewhere. But there are so many officers out here, guys, that uh, it's it's hard to keep track um, because this uh, and there's no idea. We have no idea how much money is being spent. But what can tell you that the resources they're putting into this, I think, are probably unprecedented.
1: One of the headlines at globalnews.ca reads, Share tips about BC murder suspects to police, not social media, says a former officer. Have you gotten any insight into that way of thinking from officers on the ground there?
6: We, we do because there was so much of a flurry in Winnipeg last, uh, Sunday where people thought these men had been, had been caught up by police there. It turned out to be false. Uh, when they got to York Landing, social media was abuzz with misinformation about shots fired, captures, all that kind of thing. This is the stuff that just takes people and officers away from what they're trying to do. I mean, tips, legitimate tips are the lifeblood of any investigation. And that's what they're looking for have you seen these men what do you know where have you seen them those are the kinds of things so they're continuing to ask for for tips it's been now eight days that they've been looking they haven't seen these men in Gillum for over a week and that's why they're here. I mean, an investigator that I spoke to last weekend said from an investigative point of view, you stay where you have had the last sighting. That's why they're continuing to put so much of an effort up here. If there'd been a legitimate sighting, say in Winnipeg or in some place in Ontario, then they'd move there, but there hasn't been one that they can confirm.
0: Well, we just had a situation where there was a woman missing That was berry picking. She was missing for four days. They suspect she never really got more than a couple kilometers away from the point that she was last seen. She wanted to be found, and here we are a week into a manhunt. We don't know exactly where these men are, and we definitely know they don't want to be found. So it it just highlights how difficult it is to find individuals when they are in the bush and in terrain that they would be encountering in northern Manitoba, let alone southern Manitoba, as this woman who was found in the wilderness uh, after going missing berry picking.
6: I think we're going to start to hear perhaps some suggestions about whether these people are alive. And perhaps whether they, you know, wanted to be found. Uh, I'm not speculating here, but as time goes on, these things happen. You know, these, one of the, the father of one of these men uh, from Port Alberni had suggested that uh, words to the effect that they would go out guns blazing or his son would go out guns blazing. So we we don't know whether they are alive, dead or alive. We don't know where they are. That's the reality of it. Um, but to have the kind of equipment that you'd need to survive in the woods here for a long protracted period of time, to, to our understanding, they didn't have it. I mean, they burned their last vehicle and then and, and they got away some other some other way uh we had a survival expert on on global in in winnipeg uh, a couple of hours ago who was talking about the uh the fact that there are cougars up here there are polar bears there are brown bears black bears uh it is not uh i mean look i i grew up in alberta i lived in saskatchewan for seven years but i'm a downtown toronto person and so if you have not got the skills and the tools and the wherewithal, I don't, I can't imagine how it'd be possible to be able to to survive out there for a long period of time. All right,
1: Sean, it sounds like you got to go, so we'll let you go. But thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it.
6: Thanks for having me on. Have a great day,
1: Global's Sean O'Shea joining us live from Gillum, Manitoba. Here's another headline at GlobalNews.ca in case you missed this, as it concerns this case. Father of B.C. murder, and Sean just referred to this father. The father of B.C. murder suspect, Penn's book, Details Troubled Life. This is Alan Schmigelski father of the, one of the uh, 18-year-old suspects. He sent a book to reporters this week titled Red Flagged, which he says is a novelization of actual events and fictionalizes some incidents. The 132-page book, which Alan said he planned to self-publish this week but now does not intend to publish for sale, reveals new details of his troubled life and his numerous encounters with police and courts. He said he sent the book to reporters to highlight how a broken system has shaped him and his son.
0: Now, he did didn't read write this 132 pages in the last week. This is something that he had already been working on, as I understand it. So um, what do you say about that? Yeah. It's just bizarre that uh, this individual would even have something like that on hand, would be working on this, and then to be in the middle of one of the biggest crime stories in Canadian history is, uh, you could only call it bizarre. Well, and it's just
1: the timing. Sure. The fact like if he's been working on this for a while, then why not just sit on it for a while longer?
0: Is he hoping that'll give police some insight into the psychology or or who his son is? I, I'm really not clear uh, uh, on the altruistic side of this and as to why he's doing this at this time. It, it, I keep coming back to the word bizarre, but I think there's
1: no other word for it. It's Mackling and McGarry. A Manitoba woman needs your help to become Ms. Health and Fitness, Ms. Muscle and Fitness 2019, and she's almost there.
2: Welcome to the world's largest online fitness competition with a grand prize of $20,000 and a two-page spread in Muscle and Fitness hers. Don't miss your opportunity to receive worldwide recognition and be featured in the world's leading fitness magazine. This is be you?
1: So Ms. Health and Fitness, courtesy of Muscle and Fitness Hers, holding the world's largest online fitness competition right now to women from all over the place. As you heard, grand prize, 20 grand, two-page pre- spread in Muscle and Fitness Hers. Amanda Soby is the Manitoban who is in this competition. She's into round five of seven, currently sits in first place in her group. Let's help her win her group and move her on to the next stage. Amanda, first of all, good morning to you.
9: Hi, good morning.
1: So when we talked to you on July 2nd, I think you were in third place in your group. How long have you been leading the pack?
9: Oh, I actually just made, I just broke free, I think second round, or not second round. In round four, I just managed to pull ahead in first and it's been pretty exciting. I'm still catching the wind and I'm super thankful, hoping to uh, make it to round six.
0: How many people are involved in this competition, Amanda.
9: I think there's been thousands. Um, I was a little taken away. Currently, right now, I think there's uh, over 100 groups inviting to take first place to move on to the next round. So if I get into first place for this round, I'm going to be at least one out of 100. I think it may be one out of 120 I hadn't really checked into the statistics. I didn't want to get all nervous.
1: <laughs> yeah, because you've left, uh, you've left 47 women in your dust. There's only five women left in your group. 47 have been eliminated by my calculations. You're in group 70, I think. So that just speaks to how large this competition is. So if you finish in first at the end of round five, which voting closes for that tomorrow, does that mean you win your group?
9: I do.
1: Yeah, it does. <laughs> I
0: can hear the excitement and the nervousness all at once in your voice, Amanda. And I just want to congratulate you, not only on what you've done to this point, but the awareness that you're bringing for lymphedema. And for those that that don't know Amanda or maybe that do know Amanda and are following her on her Instagram, she's posting every single day. She inspires. It doesn't matter if you work out, you don't work out, you walk a little bit, whatever your workout routine is, She's a great follow, A-M-dot-so-b-y, uh a short for Amanda, A-M-S-O-B-E-Y on Instagram. And this whole idea, never mind, you're fit as a fiddle for anybody on this planet. You're the picture of health, but you deal with lymphedema. And, and so tell us how this has made you better and cope with, with what ails you.
9: Um, I think the best piece of advice is is that I've learned how to grow under negative pressure Um, when you're dealt with a disease that there's no cure for. And uh, it's really sad because the education for doctors is only about three hours in their entire curriculum for about the lymphatic system. So it's very under-recognized and researched that when somebody gets diagnosed with this condition, it's very isolating and very debilitating. And I don't think many people understand what we suffer with and i know everyone's probably sick nowadays and they're wondering you know why should we care but um it's very sad when you go through something and somebody says that there's nothing that you can do about it and i think i'm a testament to say well there is something to do about it I have something to say about it, so let's uh, work together and bring about awareness because there's thousands, if not millions, of people that need help. So it's pretty uh, it's pretty powerful.
0: Focus on what you can do. Your illness does not define you. One of my very favorite quotes that, that you are fond of sharing, and, and it almost speaks for itself, but is there anything to add to that?
9: I just think that people in general, we could all be better and do better. We're always all fighting something and struggling with something, um, whether it be lymphedema or whether it be something else, physically or mentally or emotionally. Life is not easy. Life is a struggle. Um, I'm here to represent the people. I'm here to represent all of us that want to do better and be better and be more. And I just really hope to share my message with everybody who wants to listen. And I couldn't be more thankful for the opportunity.
1: Amanda Sobey, we wish you Godspeed on the rest of your journey through this competition. Good luck and uh, keep going. You're in first place. You're almost there.
9: I'm almost there. Keep voting, keep liking, keep sharing. I couldn't do this without you, so thank you so very much, and I hope everyone has a really wonderful day.
1: All right, Amanda Soby joining us live on 680CJOB, com. There's a link to where you can vote on her profile that Greg mentioned. We've also linked it to our 680CJOB Instagram story if you want to follow us there and find your way to the spot where you can cast your vote.
2: And now it's back to, well, I think it's the start, but based off of who's in studio,
1: which morning show is this now? Well, I'll tell you what, Tristan Field-Jones, when I started working here at CJOB back in May of 2004, our three guests, two of whom are in studio, one on the phone, were the big guns around here. I used to work overnights when Larry Updike, Brian Barkley (laughs) were the... Hosts of the morning show, Larry in the studio, Brian in the traffic cruiser, and then Bob Irving was the sports guy, and I was just the guy who uh, made sure the coffee pot was uh, was on when they all got to work.
0: Sometimes you go to church, sometimes church comes to you, <laughs> <laughs> and this morning, church has definitely come to us. <laughs>
1: and Larry Updike, as you've just learned, sometimes things don't work uh, in studio, he's found the headphones that don't work. It, are those working now okay?
5: Are you talking to me? <laughs> yes, actually, yeah. at least through one one ear, which is good. Yeah, the things <laughs>
4: things are still broken around here. How's it going, guys? Well, it's funny. We, we connected this morning. I even picked him up this morning. We had to had drive here for old time's sake because used, we used to drive together all the time. After work, we'd get together, and I even rem- remembered where he lived. I found his house, first crack at it, so we're, we did fine. No,
5: that wasn't the disturbing part. The disturbing part was how my <laughs> wife ran down the stairs, out the front door, and was embracing and kissing him and I'm thinking now what the heck was going on all those years?
4: It yeah, was sure good to see you. <laughs> Uncle
5: Brian, Uncle Brian, look!
0: Well, the best part was everybody knew where you were. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Some good times.
1: Uh, devious minds do
0: think alike. Is Bob Irving on the phone with us?
1: Bob, are you there? Yes, yes I'm here. So, why don't we start with Larry, because you were doing afternoons at the time of the 1999 Pan Am Games, right? Yes, I was.
5: And it was a very interesting period of transition for for me in my career. So if you have a second, I'll tell you a quick story about that. Because um, I, in my 40 years in broadcasting, half was in music radio. I used to work in this building, as a matter of fact, for another radio station and a TV station that used to be here. And that's where I first got known. Turned forty, dog leg, best thing that happened. I moved to News Talk Current Affairs, but I had no I had good instincts, but I had no on-the-ground experience. So I was barely three years in to a huge dog leg in my career. And I wasn't like the other old hands like Bob Irving and Kelly Moore and Brian Barkley and you know everybody else and Richard Kluche. I didn't have a contact base. I didn't have anything. I mean, I helped. When I moved over, I helped co-create a show that was on this radio station for years at night called, uh, um, well, it was had different names, but it was in the late evening. And I co-created that uh, with the idea that there'd be no guests, no, you know, it would be sort of like a, an early social media free-for-all. That's the, That was the whole concept of the show. So I came out of that. Uh, no better in terms of establishing contacts, having a base, a network of people like reporters are supposed to do. I just knew that I had a certain kind of talent for speaking, and I had a you know a reasonably quick mind. That's all I had. So now they put me in this this thing in, in in the Pan Am Games, and everybody else is you know pulling luminaries and pundits and guests and athletes in there. I I barely know how to make a phone call. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I thought to myself, well, what on earth am I going to do? And then I thought, well, I know what I'm good at. So I told the then uh, on-site producer, Paul Graham, I said, Paul, get me a really, really long cord and put it to the microphone. And I walked around that, that uh, you know, the site, the core site. I walked all around there and I would just grab people and talk to them or I'd talk to the vendors. What's the experience like? Tell me your story. And then I remember after doing that the first day, I'm coming back to the radio station. I have no, I I got no approval for this whatsoever. So I'm thinking... Well, I'm really in it now. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked in, and our, our boss at the time, Vic Grant, said, What are you doing? And I, and I said, <clears> Oh. <throat> uh, uh, and, and he says, That's exactly what I want. I want <laughs> more of that. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly I felt at home. But that's, that's, you know, that's how vulnerable I was at, at that time. And I was in my early 40s. But it's kind of neat to be in the middle of a career as a mature adult and have that sense of vulnerability like starting all over again it's a really really neat uh, experience to have
0: Bob when you look back on that time and, and you think about uh, the way Larry just described how he found his way you'd been covering large sports events for a very long time but as we're learning over the last 10 or 11 days here this was sort of the cherry on the on the on the pie or the cherry on the ice cream for a lot of people in terms of what it meant to be CJOB. Were you nervous back then as well in terms of what we were going to deliver to the public at that time?
3: Yeah, I think I was a little bit. And let me say it's great to hear Larry and Brian's voices again. It brings back great memories when we were all together there at CJOB, although those many years ago it seems like now. (laughs) But I recall, and I was the sports director at the time, and I recall uh, when Winnipeg landed the Pan Am Games and we decided to put our coverage plans together, uh, that's when uh, Kelly Moore kind of took charge of things. And I was uh, doing the Blue Bombers at that time, of course, and I was going to be away for two games during the Pan Am Games, so I would be away for five or six days of the event. And one of the things that really sticks out for me is how Kelly took charge. And this is not just, actually the games themselves, we're talking about the CJOB coverage of it. Kelly put so much of it together, and I know Vic was involved. We were all involved, but uh, Kelly took charge as only Kelly can, and we had people at venues all over the place, and yeah, there was some trepidation about how it would come off, how everything would work, but when we got rolling, and I know Kelly was based at the convention center, and then he'd do that around the horn thing where he'd throw it out to our reports and everybody at the station really, uh, you know, jumped aboard and and offered uh, to help do whatever was required. But uh, Kelly would go out to six or seven or eight venues at one time and get an update, and it just sounded so great. And and I still to this day remember how proud I was of the job that CJOB did. Uh, what a wonderful uh, response we got from our listeners and the public. Because when the game started, we all wondered, geez, I wonder how interested people are going to be. And I wonder what the crowds are going to be like. And of course, it turned out to be a phenomenal success. And we were right in the middle of it. So it was one of these, when I look back on the 40-some years I've been at CJOB, I think about those 99 Pan Am games. And of course, everybody wondered, would we be able to duplicate the success they had in the 67 Pan Am games in Winnipeg? And when I say we, I mean the city of Winnipeg. And it came off. Famously, and we were a big part of it, and uh, it's something I think for our radio station back then and even now to celebrate. Brian Barkley, happy birthday! By the way,
4: uh, thank you, appreciate it. <laughs> what sticks out for you for the '99 games? <laughs> well, I was there. There's two things that j- jumped to mind, and um, <laughs> one of them was I was a huge and, and still a big fan of the Guess Who, and uh, for the closing ceremonies, the original Guess Who were on the closing ceremonies, and they played uh, four or five uh, uh, set, four or five song set. And if, to me, it was like, wow, this is, this is what Winnipeg is all about. This is one of the best things we ever did. And here they are back together again. I think the premier had asked them to get together because they had uh, come apart for all kinds of different reasons. But for the Pan Am Games, they came together and they wowed the crowd. They sounded great. And I was one of those guys, and I I had even seen that band uh, early in their uh, status. They came to our high school in Portage la Prairie, so they had played back then. And now seeing them at the Pan Am Games all together again, it was a huge musical moment. But it was just indicative of what the Pan Am Games did—they brought out the best of Winnipeg in so many ways. But there's another funny memory when because when Kelly contacted me back uh, a while back about being here with the Pan Am Games, uh, there was I remember in fact I, we saw it coming in. There's a picture of me holding a mic. And my profile is not what we would call um, uh, slim. (laughs) Uh, uh, The third trimester comes to (laughs) mind. And I hadn't realized I had put on about 20 or 30 pounds until I saw that picture. And so I lost the weight right, right after the Pan Am Games. I lost all that weight and kept it off. If I hadn't seen that picture, I wouldn't have lost those 20 or 30 pounds. So the, the guess who and the, the profile picture came to mind with Pan Am Games. So it changed a lot for you, Brian. <laughs> it really did.
1: Are you guys going out for breakfast like you used to after work for your birthday, Barkley? I think
4: what? Um, Larry's buying today. I think we are. Yeah. He's looking at me like he's seen a mark. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's his birthday, so I have to pay, of course. It seems like. Right. Right thing to do. <laughs> it
5: does sometimes. Did you
0: coordinate this with uh, Kelly ahead of time, Brian? Did you, did you make sure that it was
4: on this date? We spoke, as a matter of fact. We connected. I yeah, let him know. You know when, yeah. you, when
5: you invited me here with Brian on his birthday, I thought this was a seminar on paleontology because oh! we have a fossil sitting right here.
0: Oh! <laughs> One of our listeners wants to give you uh, wants us to give you the bumps today, Brian. But I, I think that would be ill advised for a variety of different reasons. I'll leave it
4: to your discretion. <laughs>
0: hey, uh, uh, the- why don't we talk about the idea of this connection, not only that you guys have with one another, but the connection you continue to have with Winnipeg. Do you feel it when you're still out in the community, Larry? We're getting all sorts of text messages here. People are just thrilled to hear uh, all your voices on air this morning.
4: Uh, you want to start? Yeah, I, I still love being a part of Winnipeg. I had, I had a huge pride of Winnipeg back in the days of the Pan Am Games and uh, through my career. Uh, and I'm not oblivious to the issues that Winnipeg has had and does have. I'm not oblivious to that, but I'm also conscious of the positives that Winnipeg has and and the positives keep on growing, whether it's the arts community, uh, whether it's music and whether they're making so many movies in town now. And there's we're doing a lot of things right. And I always, in, during my career, I would always talk about the things that really impressed me about Winnipeg. And I, I, I didn't ignore the bad stuff, but I knew the good stuff. Well, the good stuff is always far more important to me. Uh, I'll I'll say this about Brian uh, because
5: of of the uh, footprint that he left on the city when he was on the air that continues now. Uh, Because not only was he an iconic figure here at CJOB, you've got to remember he was doing traffic for another radio station, or sister radio station, which at uh, various times also had an enormous audience. So as the morning guy at CJOB, I was kind of privy to inside information. Sometimes the corner office would leak a little bit of research my way, just, you know, for my information. And Brian Barkley's numbers were through the roof. This man is a broadcasting icon like Winnipeg has hardly ever seen. I'm saying that right now. I'm blushing now. Well, well, no, he, I want him to pay for breakfast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you saved that up for how many years, Larry, to say something nice about Brian? I'm
5: feeling a little nauseous. <laughs> Are you okay, man? <laughs> Listen, this coffee. It's the same crap as before.
1: <laughs> Bob, have you ever heard anything like that in your years at CJOB? Larry saying something about Brian like that? <laughs>
3: Well, you know, I never understood Barkley's popularity. I, it, I, I never understood it. No, seriously, I heard that from people all all over the place. Geez, uh, Brian Barkley isn't he a cool guy? And I said, well, if you knew him, you wouldn't think that. But you no, know, he uh, <laughs> he was extremely popular with those traffic updates. Uh, it was one of the real staples of CJOB and. Uh, Uh, People still talk about him today. As a matter of fact, I hear him on the air now doing a car commercial. So uh, he certainly hasn't gone away. But those were, uh, as I say, those were great fun times for me. You know, one of the highlights for me, and I've got to bring this up about the Pan Am Games, was I had never broadcast a baseball game. And we were going to do... Uh, it's funny kelly moore and i were talking about this the other day and i said i remember broadcasting the game but i don't remember which game it was i don't think it was one where the canadians upset the americans i think it was a playoff game but uh i'd done hockey i'd done football i'd done a lot of different things but i'd never done the play-by-play of a baseball game so i got to do a baseball game at shaw park in the pan am games and i can't even remember what game it was i think canada lost but that was a highlight for me. That's the one and only baseball play-by-play mm-hmm. I've ever done in my career, and it was really, really cool. I had a great time with it, and I'll never forget it.
4: And you probably had some trepidation going in, but loved it once it was done. Am I right?
3: <laughs> oh yeah, no. I you know doing baseball, Brian. The pacing is so different from anything else that you do in terms of a sports play-by-play. But once I got rolling on it, uh, man, I enjoyed the heck out of it and I guess if I had to do my career over again, I might explore more opportunities to do baseball, but that was a real, uh, a real highlight for me, and then I think the way that the city responded, I'll never forget, you know, uh, the Americans didn't send their top athletes, and the Pan Am games at that time weren't viewed as an elite sporting event the way the Olympics were. They had kind of lost some of their luster, but we made such a great success of those games with the crowds we had in Winnipeg and the 20,000 volunteers with those salmon-coloured shirts, which every now and then still pop up around the corner. Uh, it just—I And I know Sandy Riley was on earlier. He was the chair of the games at that time. And he said he thought it kind of revitalized Winnipeg. We'd lost the Jets a couple of years earlier, and he felt it played a role in, in kind of bringing the city back to life in some ways. And I, I couldn't agree more.
1: Bob Irving joining us from Guelph on the phone and in studio, Larry Updike and Brian Barkley. Our listeners are texting us constantly. Colorado Phil from Colorado saying, OMG, Larry and Brian, so good to hear your voices. Gentlemen, (laughs) what a pleasure this has been. Thank you for coming in to see us today. Thank you.